Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Hello, everyone. I am um, Dr. Carlos Aleman. I am a professor in the history department, and I also run the Latin American Studies program here at Samford University. I appreciate you allowing me to come speak to you. I'd like to thank Dr. Curlin for inviting me to speak here today. Today is also, if you're not aware, the first day of Hispanic Heritage Month. So it's appropriate that I'm up here in that way. And it's uh, nice to be able to speak about matters that are close to my heart. To begin, I'd like to say the prayer or the passage over again, because I think it's important to hear. And so I'm going to repeat Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see thee hungry and feed thee, or thirsty and give thee drink? And when did we see thee a stranger and welcome thee, or naked and clothe thee? And when did we see thee sick or in prison and visit thee? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer, Lord, when did we see thee hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked, or sick or in prison, and did not minister to thee? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus, in very simple words, tells us how we are supposed to treat one another. He emphasizes the treatment of the least of these of my brothers. He emphasizes people who maybe don't look like what we imagine Jesus to look like. Those who are unfamiliar to us. But Jesus tells us, that's who I am, the least of these. These words always stay close to my own heart. Who is Jesus talking about? I believe that he is talking about people who are struggling to get by, living check to check or unemployed. People who do not have enough food to eat or water to drink. Of people who do not earn enough money to buy clothes. I believe that he is referring to the sick, perhaps people who cannot afford expensive medicine or treatments or afford health insurance. He is also speaking of prisoners sitting in cells who have no one to visit them, people who we have forgotten. Finally, he also talks about strangers, of immigrants. These are the least of these, people who need our love and support. Jesus is unequivocal in how we are supposed to treat these people. We are to feed them, quench their thirst, take care of the sick, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, and welcome the stranger. Jesus tells us that if we do this, eternal life is ours. Think about that. Eternal life is dependent on how we treat our fellow brothers and sisters, on how generous we are with mercy, on how we love our neighbor. 
Jesus reminds them when we do these things, we do it to him as well. It's a forceful reminder that love is not only reserved for people we are familiar with, that our expression of how we love God is tied to how we love our neighbors, our fellow human beings, regardless of their station, regardless of their familiarity. When we deny mercy and withhold love, we are not expressing our love of Christ. We are not manifesting what it means to be a Christian. So why did I choose this parable, the sheep and the goats, the judgment of nations, as it is also known? Back in June, when Dr. Curlin asked me to speak at this convocation, I gravitated towards this parable because of its focus on mercy. As the months have gone by, with the increasing emphasis on immigration and national politics, and in the media and the negative portrayal of immigrants, particularly Hispanics, it seems all the more relevant. In July, I traveled to Nicaragua, where I was born, to conduct research and plan a study abroad trip for some of my students in the LES program. I will be going there next summer if you're interested. And um, I reflected on quite a few things while I was down there. On my way to Nicaragua, in the airport to Birmingham, in the airport in Atlanta, I noticed several mission trips headed to Latin America. They were going to Nicaragua, they were going to Dominican Republic, they were going to South America, Bolivia, Peru. There was excited chatter among young people and their leaders about serving. This reminded me quite a bit about Sanford students and about their willingness to go abroad and serve. So many of you go on missions, religious, medical, humanitarian, to contribute in a variety of ways, large and small, to the betterment of conditions, to express your love in Christ and help your fellow man. It also made me think about how we treat the border. Many within the United States are willing to go abroad and help people in need. Yet if those very same people who reside in these countries come to us, the great majority of them being Christian, and ask for help, look for work, and try to help their families, many of us who live here insist on shunning them, demand that they return to where they came from, and we turn our backs on them. Once I arrived in Nicaragua, I encountered a devastating level of poverty. Nicaragua remains the second poorest hemisphere in the continent after Haiti. Yet the people I know and met demonstrate an innate sense of strength despite the great adversity they confront in their everyday lives. Many were considering migrating to the United States. They spoke to me of how they had relatives here or how they knew of someone who had migrated and done okay for themselves and their families. How they knew that if they could get a job in the United States, it could improve their lives in concrete ways. They could buy a home they had always dreamt of owning. They could pay for their mother's medical treatments. They could pull themselves out of debt. They could feed their families. Some were applying for visas. Others were contemplating crossing the border without authorization. I had open conversations with them about how difficult it would be if they came without authorization. Now, I'll be honest, this is not to dissuade anyone. It was more so they understood that it would require a deep reservoir of willpower to do so. They responded by saying they had the will, but more importantly, they also had faith. When people talk about making, to the United, making the journey to the United States, legally or not, they speak about faith and their belief in God, how God will grant them grace to bear that difficult path, how they make difficult choices, but know that they are not alone. I got back about a month ago, and a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting at a nonprofit that I volunteer at. And it provides services to low-wage immigrant workers. Some of them are undocumented. Some of them are here with authorization. It's an organization that tries to apply what Jesus commands us to do, to help the least of these. Among them, 
I met a young 15-year-old high school student who was the nephew of one of these other volunteers. I told him I was a history professor. He rolls his eyes like teenagers do when I tell him I'm a history professor. I asked him, okay, what subject do you like? And he told me he liked science, that he was particularly good at math. So I asked him, so what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a doctor or I want to be an engineer. I was like, okay, have you thought about college? He was like, I like Auburn, you know, Huntsville would be great. And then I asked him, knowing where I was, what's your status? And he told me he was undocumented. Here's a kid who's grown up in the United States his whole life, speaks perfect English, excelling in all his classes, getting A's and B's in math and science. And he won't be able to go to college. And he will find it, find it near impossible to have a career in something he dreams of doing. If we believe in merit, if we believe in talent and in ability, he should have the opportunity to attend college, regardless of whether he's doc undocumented or not. This story is close to my heart because it is a story that could have easily been mine. My family migrated from the United States when I was three years old in 1982. We came on a tourist visa and we never left. From the ages of three to nine, I was an undocumented person in this country. This isn't a story about beating the system. This is a story about how people do incredible things to try to give themselves and their families the best possible shot. My father had crossed the border legally and illegally several times before he decided he would settle in the United States. He learned to master a Mexican accent just in case if he got deported, he would only be sent back to Mexico and not to Central America. He worked several jobs trying to make ends meet. He was a janitor, a construction worker, a factory worker, a truck driver, anything that would allow him to earn enough. My mother, when she made the decision to join my father in the United States, was a 19-year-old high school dropout with two kids. Once here, I grew up in a poor, predominantly Hispanic neighborhood in San Francisco. My mother eventually divorced my father and she, event she essentially raised me as a single mother. She worked jobs as being a cashier, being paid under the table. Many of my family members worked this way. Fortunately, things were able to change and we were able to regularize our status and become permanent residents. Since we had, many of us had come as exiles, we were eventually granted green cards. Obtaining authorization is a life-changing event. It allows you to get a driver's license. It means you can get a social security number. It means you can go to the hospital. It means that you can apply for jobs. It means that you can survive without fear of deportation. For me, it meant that I could also be among the first in my family to attend and graduate college. It meant that I could apply for student loans. It allowed me to be the first person in my family to earn a PhD. It also meant that I could become a citizen in the country that I had grown up in. Since I've been back in the country, there's been a lot of discussion about the comments made during the presidential campaign, about the kinds of people immigrants who come without authorization are. The vast majority of people who come to the United States unauthorized do so in order to prove their lives, improve their lives and that of their children. They work hard at low pay to do so. They pave our roads build our houses, clean our buildings, pick our fruit and vegetables, cook our food, and take care of our children. 
I sincerely believe that this does not have to be an either-or issue. I agree with Texas Governor Rick Perry, who recently just said, quote, we can secure the border and reform our immigration system without inflammatory rhetoric, without base appeals that divide us based on race, culture, or creed. We should remember that we are citizens of both the kingdom of God and of the United States. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40, Jesus is asked, which of all the commandments is the greatest? He responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus there answers the question. He could have stopped there, but he doesn't. He continues by saying, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. For Jesus, the two most important things that we could do as a people of Christ is to love God completely and to love one another. Mercy, compassion, love. These are the characteristics that Jesus expects of us. They need not end at the border. We can love all who live within our borders and those who do not. We can welcome the stranger. It's something that's very difficult sometimes. I think we emphasize so much how different we are from one another. We emphasize how we won't be able to somehow get along. But Christ does not care about that. God loves us all. He put all of us here. He wants us to figure this out. And here you are, 18, 19, 20. You're next. It's time to get to work. God told us to. Thank you. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.